Welcome to About Progress. I am your host, Monica Packer, and I am here to teach you how to take back your life and dare to progress towards bettering yourself, honing your gifts, and using them for good in the world. Listen in to be inspired by others who are walking the same path of self-improvement paired with self-love, and to be a part of a community that knows life is about progress, not perfection. A new intro. I don't want to belabor all the process that went behind that and the reasoning, but in short, I have had the hardest time describing what my podcast is about to people who ask me about it in person, and it's my podcast. So I thought it was time to really refine that and nail it down, and I changed the beginning of the podcast to reflect that. So I hope you like it. Today's topic is going straight to the heart of what I want this podcast to be about, progress, not perfection. And today's episode has to do with parenting. I have good news for you. You don't have to be a perfect parent to be a good one. In fact, the research shows that a perfectionist parent is ineffective and unsafe in their children's eyes. I learned this from our guest today, parenting expert, Georgia Anderson. She's someone who has been on my want to interview list since day one, and our chat together exceeded my very high expectations. Listen to learn how to embrace your humanity as a parent and thereby better connect with your children. A great side perk, you'll be far more effective as a result. Georgia was so patient with me because my three-month-old would not go down for a nap as he was supposed to and felt like, so I held a fussy baby throughout the interview. I was able to edit out most of his noise, but you'll hear his little baby sounds here and there. He was just my accidental co-host for the day. I can't wait to share this, so let's just get right to it. I want to welcome Georgia Anderson to the show. Hi, Georgia. Hello, Monica. This is so exciting for me. You are someone I look up to so much. I love your feed. Everything that you teach us is is honestly changing my parenting life and my life at, by extension. So first, a big thank you. And second, can you... Can you give us a little introduction to who you are for those who might not be familiar with you? Okay. Well, I am currently enjoying the after party of motherhood. I am um, <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, I'm a wife and a mom and a stepmom and a grandma to 11 grandchildren. Wow. And I have four grown children who are married and three grown stepchildren who are married. So they are now producing for us for all the fun of the after party. <laughs> and about four or five years ago, I was kind of thinking about what's next in my life and had always loved teaching parenting classes and decided to start a little Instagram called Know How Mom Tips and a website called knowhowmom.com and just talk about my journey and what I learned along the way as well as bringing in a lot of the expert advice and research on child rearing and relationships. So that's kind of my game right now. Um, also on the side, I am a massage therapist and I'm a volunteer doula up at the University of Utah Hospital. So those are some of my hobbies. That's incredible that those are your hobbies. And a, and a volunteer <laughs> doula, that's, that like brings tears to my eyes that that is something you just give your time to go and, and help women through hardest, but the most rewarding time of their life. Yeah. Like kudos to you. Well, that's why I do it. It's such a beautiful way to keep in touch with life and to oh keep goodness. in touch with what I do. And I wanted to pay it forward a little bit. I had all my kids 
you know, that way. And I learned really as I was burying my children that I wanted another woman in the room with me Mm. and um, found that out after I had my first baby. I thought there was something missing there. And I just felt like I wanted someone, another woman there. And after that, I always invited a friend or someone to be in there with me. And I'm so glad I did. So that's why I do that. Oh, amen to that. I can totally say that my my own experiences have been similar in that way. Just what a difference mm-hmm. a positive woman by your side in that time. I mean, I, I want to talk to you about that, but let's let's first talk about you, you mentioned your journey and your own motherhood and how that inspired your own desire to pay it forward with other young moms. And so I'm I'm going to be a little sarcastic here, but I'm imagining that you never made a mistake as a young mom and that it was so easy for you because you are a parenting expert. Is that, is that the case? Oh, you should have my children on the show. (laughs) (laughs) I made so many mistakes and I, like you say, you are, was a recovering perfectionist and motherhood makes you recover from that. I think because you can't be perfect. There is no way. And you know, the research actually tells us you don't want to be perfect. Those are not the healthy, that's not a healthy way to raise children is to be perfect all the time. So, no, wow. I am very much not perfect and I'm not a proponent of being so. <laughs> so what what does the research show then? What what does it say about trying yeah, to be well, perfect you know, I, I teach a lot of um, classes based on the Gottman research and we call him the Einstein of love because he's done four decades of research actually in laboratories following children and parents and families and seeing what happens not only psychologically to them but physiologically in their relationships. So he's just a groundbreaking researcher for one thing that has done some amazing stuff. And the bottom line for parenting in his research is that parents who get it right, meaning use techniques that really work well, about 40% of the time, their kids turn out just fine. <laughs> that is the best news. So, so what does it, that actually look like then? Well, what it looks like is that we are going to yell. We are going to make mistakes. We are going to be negative sometimes. We're going to do those things because they're human nature. And it doesn't mean that you just let it slide the 60, the rest of the 60%. What he mm-hmm. means is that a majority of that 60% of the time, and not always, but a lot of the time you come back and repair it. You come back and say, you know, I really don't like the way I handled that. Can we have a magic eraser and try it again? Or something along those lines, you know? Or, or could you say that again in a way, you know, that's hurting my feelings. Could you try that again? Or could I try that again? You know, it's just all about repair. And what he found out in the mm. research is that repair is really a happy family secret weapon. That we don't mm-hmm. want or need to be perfect all the time. We need to be open to change and learning. Well, what does it show your kids when you are presenting this skill to repair? In other words, to make up for the mistakes you make. Yeah, well... Obviously, it teaches them, A, that you're not perfect, I mean, that, and mm-hmm. that also they don't have to be perfect, so that it's the effort that counts, right? So there's, I don't know if you've read or heard about the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. She's a researcher from Stanford. She yeah, I've a, heard of it. I haven't read it, though. Oh, it's so fantastic. She talks mm-hmm. about the experiment where they took 
two separate classrooms of kids, controlled them for IQ, so the IQ was split equally on their ability, their natural ability, and then they told one group of kids that they were smart and that's the reason they were in that class. They took Mm -hmm. another group of kids and told them how the brain works, that it works by trial and error and that we learn by, you know, trying things and then not quite getting it right and trying again and that the brain makes these connections about how to get things right when we do that. So they took these two kids that were given those two different, really just a paragraph of information and then followed them throughout their college experience. And the kids who were told that it's actually healthy to make mistakes and to practice and do things over and over again until you get it right, they did so much better in their lives. Hmm. So, you know, her research is kind of groundbreaking and, you know, really plays out the truth that it's effort that matters. And, of course, we want to still have high expectations and high standards for ourselves and our kids. Those are all great. But it's the way we go about accomplishing that and the expectation we set as far as the effort that's going into it, you know, and the progress, the day-to-day life, that it's not going to be perfect the first time and that we're going to have mistakes and setbacks, that those are actually going to make us stronger and smarter. I love that effort. Effort matters. Mm-hmm. And and knowing that you're trying, I think that's what we have to put our stake in, is that we're being purposeful. We are trying, but we're also allowing ourselves room for mistakes because it seems like if you're not allowing yourself room to make mistakes, when you do, you could have probably two outcomes. Either you're so overwhelmed with guilt mm-hmm. or you have a hard time allowing yourself room to recognize the mistake and to fix them. What do you have to say on those kind of two outcomes? Mm. Well, I've certainly lived it. I know that in my Mm -hmm. young, in my young mothering, I was so much more of a perfectionist and really had a vision for what I wanted my family to look like, which I'm sure every mother does. Right. But I wanted Mm -hmm. my kids to be accomplished and I wanted them to be kind and I wanted us to be fit and I wanted us to be adventurers and I had all these dreams and goals which I'm glad I did but I feel like I was very rigid in how I approached those sometimes and when I or my children weren't measuring up it was easy to be hard on first myself you know and blame Mm -hmm. myself that they weren't doing well or that I wasn't doing well in a certain way and what it did was kind of made my world crash down around me and make me very ineffective as a mom, not not only in accomplishing things, but in my relationship with them. So, and that's the most important part, right? Is that's where the effort is. It's forming that relationship so that you, you can, you can switch things yourself and teach your children how to do it too, when it counts. And I I think you were continuing the thought. So, so well, yeah, I, I think the other part of that is it made me a very unsafe mom. It made me feel unsafe around Mm -hmm. myself. You know, because I was being so hard on myself. And so I was beating myself up all the time. So kind of an extension of that guilt is just not uh, trusting yourself, Mm -hmm. trusting your instinct, trusting um, your relationship with your kids. What what do you think? Yeah, go ahead. Well, and not trusting your ability to, to be compassionate. And if, you know, Mm. all the Brene Brown research right now is saying how if you're not compassionate with yourself, you will never be able to be so with another person. And 
that's what I wasn't being. I wasn't being compassionate for who I was and for my failings and for the imperfections I had, that they were just part of me. They were part of who I am. And that makes a big difference in how you parent, right? One hundred percent. I think this is what I have been in the trenches learning myself. After I had my third, it was such a dark time because of that rigidity I was holding myself to. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was so there was so much new. I mean, having three um, under four was was pretty different. I mean, I never had experienced it before. I couldn't have the same standard to three. I couldn't mm-hmm. apply that same standard to three little kids as I could to two mm-hmm. that I had before. And because of that, I think it created a lot of guilt, a lot of unhappiness, a lot of insecurity in parenting, and also a lot of fragility with my relationship with my kids. So I'm I'm grateful for people like you who have taught me and showed me that there's so much freedom in giving yourself compassion and by mm-hmm. extension, your kids. Yeah. So let's talk about what that can look like. Let's start with parents within themselves first and then mm-hmm. what that looks like with our children. Okay. Uh, well, I can put on my massage therapist hat a little bit here. <laughs> I actually got my massage therapy license when my children were preteens to, well, they were like grade school to preteens. And at the same time, and this could be a whole different podcast, but I was also going through a divorce. Mm. So this was incredibly, I mean, I was being incredibly hard on myself at this time. Mm-hmm. My marriage had failed. I had these four kids who I had sole custody of and really no career, no way to make money. I I was incredibly hard on myself at this time. It was so painful. Before, just before the divorce happened, I was going to massage therapy school, partly just out of self-interest. I've always loved the human body and and health and all of that. So I was doing it partly for that. So what it ended up being was this huge blessing in my life because A, it taught me how to slow down and to be self-aware of what was happening in my body. I think as mothers, we are such a vessel, you know, our children come through us and they feed on us and we care for them and they crawl all over us and our bodies are just not, don't feel like our own for so much of our motherhood. And it's interesting to have to regain that, that ownership of our body and awareness of our body so that we're not just the giving tree, right? Yeah, yes. (laughs) So this this process of learning how to slow down and be aware of my body, to be aware of my heart rate, to be aware of my breath. Was I taking a full deep breath when I breathed in or was I just breathing up into my chest because I was so stressed out? So all of that body awareness was a huge deal for me to learn how to be present in my body. And it also helped me to be grateful for my body did not expect that to be where you would go with that. But I love that idea is being present in your body is a good way to build um, some more compassion. Yeah, because being present automatically, when you become good at being present, automatically builds compassion. I know that seems like a stretch. Wow. <laughs> but you know no, the, old, the old thing of to know me is to love me? 
right? Uh, The same thing goes for yourself. (laughs) When you actually Mm. stop and pay attention to what is happening inside of you and the miracle that your body is, that it functions without you doing anything. Your breath happens without you saying, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. You know, it just happens. Your heartbeat. I mean, that's amazing. It's a miracle. And when you start paying attention to that beautiful thing that happens right inside of you, when you just give it some attention, your gratitude goes up, your happiness goes up, your physiology goes down, which is what you want it to do so that your brain functions well, and you can be creative and compassionate and empathetic and all those things just through being self-aware and slowing down. Do you think that being present is so powerful because it takes away, well, you said physiologically, so I'm thinking like a reaction. It takes away the knee-jerk reactions of Mm -hmm. parenting and the emotional side to it. Oh, absolutely. And that is what so much of the Gottman research proved because he was hooking people up to telemetry to monitor their heart rate and they were coding their facial expressions and they were coding their tone and taking urine samples to check for, um, you know, adrenaline and cortisol in their bloodstream. And they would monitor all their conversations and what they did between each other, you know, what was going on between people, as well as monitoring their physiology. And what he learned was that when physiology was starting to be aroused, in other words, when they were going into fight or flight, their prefrontal cortex, the front part of their brain, shut down because their body was just going into survival mode, basically, if you make it really simple. And what does your prefrontal cortex do? It manages all the creativity, the compassion, problem-solving, empathy. That's what your prefrontal cortex does. So it's a physiological thing. You know, I know a lot of Gottman therapists actually even have their clients wear a pulse oximeter on their thumb. And when they, when their heart rate gets above, a, above 100, they just say, okay, well, we're going to take a break or be done for the day because we really can't progress when our physiology is, is in fight or flight. I'm thrilled to offer my first workshop in just over a week's time. It'll take place on Thursday, June 21st in Farmington, Utah from 7 to 9 p.m. The topic is get over yourself. And that might sound mean, but it's not. In essence, I'll be teaching about what perfectionism really looks like in our lives and how we can get over what is truly holding us back from embracing our gifts and daring to progress in our own lives. I'm telling you that it's been nuts to me how everything around me, what I'm reading, what I'm hearing, what I'm talking about with others, including my interviews, is pointing me back to this topic. I have so much to share with you. Tickets are $30 and I have about 10 spots left. The night includes some light refreshments, including some chocolate chip cookies made by me. That's one of my favorite things to do. And we'll also have lots of worksheets and other things. So grab your bestie and get your ticket through the link in my show notes, which you can find on my website, aboutprogress.com. I really hope you can make it and I'm looking forward to meeting you. Let's get back to my chat with Georgia. So sometimes it seems like our biology can be fighting against us in that way with that fight or flight. Uh Um, So if someone finds himself in that 
place where they're reacting. And that reacting is what leads to guilt or making mistakes. What can they do? Well, if you want to start from a physiological point of view and just take it from the body, you know, you can approach it mentally or you can approach it physically. I think a physical approach is a good one for me anyway. Um, I'm a very physical learner. So I have learned to control my breath a little bit. And you can do this. You can learn to do this in a yoga class, in an acting class, a singing class. You know, there are a lot of of, um, the arts and just physical things that can teach you how to do this. But it's actually an awareness exercise. And you just start paying attention to your breath going in your body and out of your body. And there's another there's another great way. I don't remember or I don't remember her name, but one of the Olympic gold medal skiers had a lot of issues with anxiety. I don't know if you remember her, but um, I don't remember her name. But I know. Okay, I yeah. Do you remember the remember one she story. said that she would throw up at the top of the hill before she raced and everything? Yes. Yeah, and one of her coaches had her tattoo something on her wrist, and that's probably, I don't know if it was a real tattoo or a temporary, whatever, but. Do you remember what it said? It said Was it breathe? I can't no, remember. it said it said I am. That's right. Which is just, you know, the phrase that she chose to be present, like I am. Like notice your body, notice your feet planted on the floor, notice your back sitting in the chair. Notice the weight or the pressure between the floor and you. Follow your breath. See what your breath is doing right now. Is it staying in the top half of your body or are you fully engaged in all the way down into your body so just that simple awareness I think you know and of course you, we could say go exercise go read a book go whatever but let's be honest when you have young children you don't always have that option so yep. I, I like, like you're in the to, middle of a tantrum I'm gonna go for a run See yeah ya. yeah doesn't happen. <laughs> you can drop and do 10 push-ups or something. That sometimes works for people. Okay. Yeah. Give me <laughs> but, 20. Yeah. yeah. That works. You know, that, that would work also. But when you're in a situation where you can't do any of those things, you can breathe. And, that, and you can mm. work with your mind. Those are the two things you can always, always do that no one else has control of. So I like to focus on the breath and I like to focus on the thoughts. But I like to first, before you even get into the thoughts, because if things are going poorly, you're going to be negative in your thoughts. So you get to the breath first, right? You get to the breath first. You slow the breathing down. You become aware of your body in space or wherever it's touching anything. You pay attention to where your body is tight. And even just noticing it, it's just like emotion coaching, which, you know, my series, last series was about when you notice an emotion, it gives it an opportunity to fade away. When you notice a tension in your body, it gives it an opportunity to relax. So really, it's just awareness and slowing down, I think, that has a huge impact. So if someone did get caught up in that fight or flight, the biology took over, mm-hmm. and let's say that they they lost their, their temper with their kid, they shouted instead of taking that breath and calming down, mm-hmm. and now they're really struggling with their mindset about... Uh-huh the choice they made, what can they, what can they do to give that freedom to themselves to change and show their kids too? Yeah. Well, okay. Here's, I've certainly been there and I've certainly done that. <laughs> and this that really is good out. to know that. <laughs> yeah. 
this research wasn't out when I was um, raising my kids. I mean, the ideas were there, but not the hardcore scientific research. Now we have research on when this happens, some really great things that the masters of relationships do, whether by nature or by learning. The first thing that they do, well, if they've already blown it, they just go ahead and blown it. And then they go in and ask them, you know, for an apology and a redo. So that's one option. The other option, if you find yourself in that fight or flight and you're really stressed out, here's the two things you, you can do. Okay. One of them is to announce your departure. <laughs> in other I words, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> instead of walking out of the door and slamming or walking out of the room and slamming the door or really mad cleaning or whatever you do when you're really stressed out um, or grabbing someone harshly, you know, Instead of that, announce your departure and how you're feeling. So again, it's first being aware and saying, I'm feeling really out of control and saying, giving it words. Um, I'm going to take a break. Sometimes for a mom, that means shutting yourself in the bathroom or, you know, calling your friend and saying, I have to have 15 minutes. Can you watch my kids or something, right? But you announce your departure. I'm going to take a break. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. And the second part is that you make a promise of return. Um, and the minimum time for that, at least for the research, what they learned is your physiology can't really calm down sooner than 20 minutes. So that's, again, really hard for moms because that you just do not have that option often. <laughs> but what you can do is decide not to think about it for 20 minutes. So you can distract yourself or, or your child, right? You can just not, you have to promise in that 20 minutes not to think about the situation that flooded you. So whether it's you're, you're going to go out for a walk in the stroller, you know, together, or you're, you have to, if you have to stay connected somehow, that you are going to change your mind and not think about the situation for at least 20 minutes. Then you're going to come back and deal with it. Now, with babies, the situation's probably over by then, and you just go on with life, Right. But if it's a conflict with a child that can talk and, that, you know, that's maybe over three years old, then you can come back at that time and, and ask them what questions. So what happened in there? And what do you think? And what do I think? And how do you feel about it? And how do I feel about it? What do we want to do about it? So it's taking that and the break. And what instead of why? Uh-huh. Because kids can connect more with the... The logical what questions is that well yeah i mean right now even if i were to ask you like i hear your baby fussing in the back and i were to say well why is your baby so fussy instead of <laughs> instead yeah, of it's a lot. monica what what's going on over there i hear your baby a little fussy mm. what's going on do you feel the so difference it's a little bit more judgment yeah yes it, it speaks like criticism judgment. even mm-hmm. if it's not Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what else, Georgia? I mean, your, your kids are seeing you take that time. They're seeing you take the breath. They're seeing you atone for your mistakes in different ways. How is that going to help your children? You know, when I was, okay, well, here's a moment in my life that really taught me a huge lesson. I'm sure it, that it was just the right words at the right time, <laughs> but this was the morning my first husband had decided that he was out. He was going to leave. And I had children ages 9 to 16. And I remember standing in my laundry room, tears just rolling down my face, just feeling 
so incredibly helpless and frightened and overwhelmed. And (laughs) I called the therapist who had been working with us. And I just, I remember saying to him, he's, he's going to do it. He is leaving. I don't know what I'm going to do, but more important, I don't know what my kids are going to do. Like, how are they going to handle this? You know, we hadn't ever, it wasn't one of those situations where we fought all the time or anything. There was more of a, a mental illness attached, you know, part of this or just a personality type that really just couldn't stay in the marriage. And so, um, he was leaving and it was going to come as a complete shock to those kids. And I remember just sobbing and saying, how am I going to, how are we going to do this? How am I going to do this? How are my kids going to do? And this therapist very smartly gave me two ideas. And one was kind of a spiritual idea that knowing, and you know, if I were to put it in a non-spiritual tense, I would say that it was that awareness of knowing that when you stop and be still, there is a miracle right inside of you and you can find all that you need if you just remember that that is there, that presence, that light is there inside of you. The other part that he said was, and this was the part that really turned me around as far as how my kids would do, was that he said, remember this one sentence, your kids are going to do just about as well as you do. I'll tell you what, Monica, at that moment, I squared my shoulders and I said to myself, you know, obviously all the, the visions of perfection were down at this point, right? I mean, this was rock bottom as for me, as far as my dreams of family life and motherhood and what my goals were. And here I was. Right. I mean, I was in shell shock. I was just couldn't believe this was happening. And when he said that to me, I just thought, just like you or any other mother, you would do anything for your children. Right. (laughs) And when he said, your kids are going to do just about as well as you as you do. My immediate thought was, well, then I am going to do well, because more than anything in this world, I care about them doing well. And I don't mean being perfect. I mean Mm -hmm. doing well, like thriving and surviving life's ups and downs, you know, and and being okay through everything that life throws at you. That's what that moment did to me. It it there was a change in me at that moment and I I was ready to move forward that quick because I knew if I believed him, you know, I believed him. If I can do well, if I can forgive myself, if I can love myself through this humiliating experience that was just so heart-wrenching and awful, if I can do that so that my kids can do that, then I will do it. (laughs) And I just decided to do it. And, And I continued to get education. I continued to get therapy and training and practicing and falling down and getting up again because I knew if I did it, they could. Georgia, I'm going to have to listen to that part over and over and over again. You know, even if someone isn't necessarily in your same shoes of having a traumatic and sudden divorce like that, I think that's true in general. Your kids are going to do as well as you do. And not to put more guilt or pressure on it, 
Um, but like what you're trying to say is they're, they're going to adapt as well as you can adapt. Yeah. It's all, it was more about resilience than being perfect. It was about, they're going to be resilient. If you will be resilient, they will learn to be resilient. So how, how did, and I don't necessarily mean, you know, a before and after that moment, mm-hmm. but when you were taking on this more ability to be compassionate with yourself, to be more present, um, to work on your mindset as a parent, how did your life shift and how did your parenting shift? Um, I think I learned to be more accepting of of who my children were, that they were not going to necessarily grow up to be just like me. I learned how to drop my agenda a little more and still to have high expectations of my children. And I think I still, they would probably tell you today that I still have high expectations of them. But within the realm of self-compassion and empathy for each other. So I still want my children, and, you know, they're 25 and older, but I still want my children to be good people and to be kind and to be responsible financially and to be, you know, respectable, all those things. I want those things for my children. But the way they individually go about achieving self-actualization is I learned at that time and, you know, throughout my mothering that that's the way they do those things, the way they choose to learn their lessons is not necessarily going to be my way. So it's learning to adapt the expectation to an overall, an overarching value. And those are really few and far between. I don't have, you know, a whole long laundry list anymore of things I really want everyone to become or myself even to become. I have a very short list <laughs> of expectations. What are some of those? Um, well, one of them would obviously be what we're talking about now. I want to be self-compassionate because I understand now how important that is to my relationships with other people. That if I'm not self-compassionate, forgiving of my mistakes, kind to myself, and also caretaking of myself to a certain degree, And I'm not saying I'm putting myself above other people. I just want to put myself on a level with other people. So often we put ourselves at the bottom of the totem pole. (laughs) We just, every, everything happens before it happens for us. And there is a stage of motherhood where that has to happen, especially in infancy, but it can't go on forever. And I had to learn that I had to let go of that need to be needed that I had to start having compassion for myself. So that's on my short list for sure. Um, I think joy, joy is on my short list. So joy is different than happiness. <laughs> you know, joy is, is, long, is the long run. Joy is the end of the marathon after you've, you know, really struggled through something. Where happiness is like the hot fudge sundae, right? <laughs> and yes. that's, that's oh, good too. Yeah. I mean, hot fudge Sundays are great, but you can't live on them. And joy, you can live on. <laughs> joy is my end yes. goal. So joy is totally on my short list. Beautiful. I just did two episodes on happiness and joy and just how different they are. And you're totally speaking to what I just have learned only recently. You have so many things that you can teach us. And 
my goodness, I, I have so many more questions, but I think what I'd like to hear before we wrap this up is what is life like on the other side, you know, of, oh. you said the after party Yeah. and, you know, get, are you to the point where you can look back without regret, but acceptance and move forward? Your, your mothering is not over by any means, but what's, oh, it's totally over. what's in the after? <laughs> It's totally over. Now, I may be the odd person out on this, but it's over. You think I do so? not mother my children. I love my children, but, you know, I I'm, you I'm actually preparing a big talk about this that I'm going to be giving shortly, and it's it's well, about the after party. Okay, tell us about that, because that's, I always ask people what they've learned most recent years, and so this mm-hmm. is my, my version of that question. Mm-hmm. What's it like? It's fantastic. And it isn't that way for everyone. For some people, it's a huge letdown. And I will, I'll admit the truth. There is a letdown to it because you're walking away from a career. If you've been a full-time mother like I was, that was what I gave my heart and soul to. And, of course, there's a letdown, just like there's a letdown for a, a person who leaves their company at the end of 35 or 40 years, right? So, yeah. of course, there's this letdown, but there's also this incredible sense of freedom, when I when my last child got married about four, three or four years ago, and you know for a few years before that because he was basically out of the house in college and stuff, um, I started my after party, and what I chose to do now not everyone does something different. Some women go back to school or they go get a job or whatever they choose to do, but I had an after party, <laughs> and I played hard for about three or three or three and a half years. I just played hard. I hiked everywhere. I got a kayak. I, you know, went on trips. I went to the Shakespeare Festival all by myself. I just did some things I'd always dreamt about doing on my own and felt so free and happy to be there. You know, I ate what I wanted. I went to bed when I wanted. I got up when I wanted. (laughs) I love this. (laughs) I just had this huge after party and started watching my kids you know, become adults. And I just thought it was awesome. You know, they were slowly starting to become parents and I got to watch them struggle with all the things I did. And I was totally <laughs> laughing my head off. <laughs> yes. And, you know, loving them through it as well. But but I, I feel like, yes, you do. When people say, oh, you never quit being a parent, I'm like, of course you do. <laughs> you have okay. to quit being a parent. You know, you you need to let those children be grown-ups. That's the whole reason Mm. you become a parent is to launch your children. So, you know, call me whatever you Mm. want, but I really feel like I wanted to get to a place where my children no longer needed me, but they wanted me. And I think we're there. I mean, sometimes they need me. They they or they want my advice. They don't need my advice. They want my advice because you know they have Google. So. Who knows? Who knows me? So, <laughs> but I wanted to move to a place of I am not your parent anymore so much. I mean, there will always be that level of respect and love. But I'm someone now who I hope you just want to be around, who you enjoy. And we mm-hmm. enjoy all this, this experience together and these memories together. And there's not an obligation for them to show up at my parties or anything. They come because they want to come. 
So mm. to me, yes, you do finish being a mother and you move into a whole different role from someone who's a caretaker in early childhood to a mentor in the teenage years and late teenage years to a friend once they're in their 20s and beyond. And to me, that is the true achievement of motherhood. Wow, that, that's flipped everything around for me, but in such a hopeful, exciting way. That's such a future, that's a, such a brighter future than I think I could have imagined instead of putting on the parenting hat till I'm 99, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I still am finding my way. I mean, I told my kids right off that I had lived away from any extended family for when my children were all small. And so I had no outside help. I was totally on my own. And I reminded my kids of that. And we have this funny joke at our house. I'm a granny, not a nanny, right? So don't don't just expect that I'm always going to be there to babysit. Although I love to do that when it's my choice and when we work out a time together and if it's mutually beneficial for us. And sometimes that all all that means is that I just really want to hang out with my grandkids, right? Yeah. (laughs) But it's a different way of approaching that, that my job here is really done. And from now on, we work as we work as friends. We negotiate together. We and, and we have really I don't mean to say we don't have a great relationship. We do. We adore each other. Mm-hmm. But it's there. It's taken from a different, different perspective. Yeah. OK. I think it also gives the parent room to keep growing instead of staying in that leadership role for the rest of their lives, feeling like they have to be this perfect example and help their children. It gives them room to be almost like a child again. That's when I decided to start Know How Mom was when I thought, okay, I have a fresh start. What, what do I want to be? Who am I? What do I want to contribute now in a different way? Well, that was all so beautiful. I, I just can't get over how much I learned from you in this short amount of time. If someone wants to learn more, if they want to work with you, how do they get in touch with you? Where can they find you? Sure. Um, I am available all the time at knowhowmom.com, which is my website. And then I'm also on Instagram at knowhowmomtips. And I do private coaching for parents. I do parenting classes. And I'm currently starting a super fun thing which is a class by text. It's coaching by text. So it's, yeah, we're, we're trying a little experiment. We're going to be launching it right away here. And it's where you will sign up and then you get a text every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that gives you one little tiny thought to think about. Remember how we talked about slowing down and embodying your thoughts? So it gives you one little thought to think about and then an action to take. And you get two whole days to do it, and it's really simple. And then in another two days, you get another text, and it gives you another thought and an action to take. So we're kind of playing with that, a little class by text. I'm super excited to launch it. Well, great. And they can see that, I'm sure, on your website when it's it's officially launched as well Uh as your Instagram. By by the time this airs. And also on Instagram. Sorry, what? I'm sh- yeah, I was just going to say, by the time this airs, I'm sure that will have already been launched. So yes, definitely make sure to check it out. Yeah, it's going to be launched right the first week of June. I'm hoping it'll be ready to go. So I would love people Perfect. to join in. And if you sign up and get three friends to join, you get all your money back. Oh, whoa. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> that is so generous. I am so going to sign up for that. Georgia, this really has been, I mean, one of my very favorites. And I don't say that because it is hard for me to choose favorites. I love every interview, but this has already shifted so much of what I needed to have shift in my parenting. I can't thank you enough for being on my show, even with this fussy baby in the background. Thank you so much. Fussy babies are my jam. I love them. And (laughs) I appreciate you asking me. And it's always scary to stick your your truth out there. But thanks for Mm -hmm. for giving me the courage to do it. (laughs) You're welcome. I just loved Georgia. I had never thought about the after party being something to look forward to so much, especially seeing it as a time to continue to grow and develop and have some fun. What Georgia said about parenting adults made sense to me too. Our relationships change and it becomes more of a same level relationship. So what great things to look forward to as well as so many good things that we've learned from Georgia today. I'd love to hear what you thought about Georgia's episode and some takeaways you had. I'll go live on Thursday night on Instagram at about 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to share my own insights and hear from you yours. Let's have a talk. So come prepared to share what you loved about it and some questions you might have had as well. And Georgia's class by text uh, thing she mentioned, it is part of her new Think Do Challenge. That's what they're calling it officially. I have linked to where you can sign up to do that. It's a 10-week challenge. And like she said, if you referred friends, you get your money back. But it's also a nominal fee for 10 weeks of classes by this phenomenal woman sent right to your phone. I'm signing up. If you like this episode today, please take a screenshot and share it out. That's the way this podcast thrives. And if this was your first time, please subscribe and you'll get each episode downloaded to your device for free. You can find more about me on Facebook and Instagram at About Progress. Before I let you go and introduce the guests for next week, which is super exciting, so stay tuned. It's a big surprise. Uh, I first wanted to say a huge thank you. A few weeks ago, I made a plea on this podcast and on Instagram to leave me reviews. And these reviews are gold to us podcasters. I was in about the 180s when I swallowed my pride and asked for this to happen. And we are now at 230. That is huge for me. My goal this year is 500. And I am once again going to say my birthday is tomorrow. I'm turning 30. How old am I? I'm turning 32. (laughs) I was going to say 33, 32. So if you could, please leave me a rating and review. You can do it right from your podcast app if you have an iPhone, um, or you can also do it from your desktop on iTunes. I do my darndest to bring you really good episodes every single week for free. And this is something I do on my own time, my own dime, and I love doing it. But if you can show me a return favor by leaving me that rating review so I can continue to thrive, I would really be grateful. Thank you for those who've done that. And I'm just, once we reach 500 this year, that's it. I'm done asking for those the whole year. Um, Next week's guest, it's a big one, you guys. One I'm so excited about, it's Brooke White. You might know her from American Idol. She's a musician. She's also on Girls With Glasses. She's an incredible person. I first contacted Brooke over a year ago when I just saw her going through an incredible transformation as she learned to embrace her true self and work on the parts of her that she didn't like. Um, and over the past year, we chatted here and there, tried to set things up, but we've both, you know, we're, we're both Gemini's we discovered. And by that, we are really similar in, in trying to communicate with people and missing balls or dropping balls there. So we finally decided to chat about social media and her recent work on curbing her involvement of it and use of it. 
but we ended up talking for almost two hours about all the topics I have had in mind for the past year. So I'm trying to decide if I should split it into two parts with some light editing or really pare it back and bring it to you in one episode that's just over an hour. If you have an opinion on that, message me on Instagram or Facebook at About Progress. But again, no matter what, she's on the show next Wednesday, Brick White. So look forward to me sharing that with you. And until then, take care of yourself. <laughs>